Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. I'm so pumped to be here this morning. Um, <clears throat> as a lot of you know, uh, I've just had a uh, past, like, almost month, except for Christmas Eve off from uh, being up here speaking. Uh, we had a baby, and our family's around, and all that, and it was, it was a lot of fun. I loved the break, but, uh, man, I, I missed it. I, I love getting to do Sunday mornings with you guys, and I love just the awesome church that we have here at FBC. And so um, I'm really stoked to be here this morning. I, uh, <clears throat> yesterday, uh, I started to get this feeling that like a dragon had crawled into my throat and started breathing fire. And so uh, if I'm kind of hacking through the message this morning, please just bear with me. Um, I've chugged a bunch of Robitussin and Halls and with all those flavors combined, it kind of feels like the dragon, tastes like the dragon died in there. But um, anyways, Hopefully I can uh, get through. It might sound a little raspy. Give me some of that kind of like southern preacher uh, rasp. So hopefully that makes it even better. Um, anyways, uh, I'm uh, particularly pumped because we're, we're doing a book of the Bible here at FPC. I love all the series that we do, but probably my favorite overall is just to just work through a book of the Bible with you guys. And I mean, really, that's kind of what it comes down to us for, for come to, comes down to for us. I mean, we everything we believe comes out of the Bible and uh, one of our biggest hopes and goals would just be that, you know, as a church, we're a bunch of people that spend time regularly uh, meeting with God, uh, reading his word and stuff like that. Um, if, and um, this series is maybe particularly cool for me because since we just gave birth to Avra a few weeks ago, uh, Talisa and I decided that one thing we want to, want to start doing right away, right from uh, the young age of zero, um, was was to start reading the Bible to Avra. Now, I know she doesn't really understand it, and people say, well, she can't really get much out of it, but uh, the things I would say is, first of all, um, you know, the studies show that it's good to read to your baby, even when they can't understand it. It helps them uh, become smart so that she doesn't have to live her life like me. Um, but also, uh, uh, you know, I think it'd be really easy for me to be like, you know, when she can start understanding it, when she's three or four or five, I don't know, whatever, We'll start reading the Bible to her and working through that with her, but this is something I don't want to miss out on. And, um, you know, I know I'm new to this parenting thing, but I'd encourage you parents or to be parents, start young with your kids. Uh, make that a pattern. Make it so that they know as they grow up in your house that, that spending time reading the Bible is so important. Don't miss out on it. I have a, the ParentQ app, which is pretty cool. We promo it here. If you guys don't have it, parents, it's pretty cool. You can download the ParentQ app. It gives you some cool little... Cues, but one thing it does is it tells you how many weeks you have until your child graduates. Um, you know, kind of that countdown to freedom. And, um, but the app to, is telling me that right now I have 933 weeks left until I ever graduates high school, which isn't much time. And it always says, don't miss it. And, and I invite you, to, don't, don't miss it. That, that's less weeks than there are chapters in the Bible. Um, I've been reading the, we have the Jesus Storybook little children's Bible, but we also bought an NIRV translation, and we've been reading over it with her. So this past week, as I've been preparing for this Colossians series, uh, I've been reading through Colossians with Avra and kind of having some uh, deep, insightful discussions with her. Um, she's kind of the strong, silent type in those discussions. Um, sometimes it really leads her to emotions, and she starts crying, though. But um, 
Anyways, hopefully uh, what she's contributed will make this series only better. If anything heretical comes out of my mouth, we'll just blame the baby, okay? So she can take the hit on that one. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, if, you, if you're struggling with reading the Bible, we've got Bible in your reading plans out there. You can find it on the FBC app. And man, just dig into the Bible. So good. Make that part of your family. Model that for your kids. Um, it's awesome. Um, we're... Uh, Doug kicked us off last week in the first uh, part of the first chapter of Colossians, and um, I, I'll say I like listening to Doug speak. Last week was probably one of my favorite messages I've ever heard Doug speak, so if you weren't here, go check it out online. Um, but he's right, I got verses 15 to 23, which I kind of cashed in on that pick because it's an awesome passage, so I'm kind of lucky. Um, and then next week, he's going to be finishing up chapter 1 and uh, going into chapter 2. Um, all the scripture is going to be on the screens this morning. It's also in the, if you use the FBC app notes, they're awesome. It's all in there too. That way you have it later as well. But I'd also encourage you, if you have a Bible or a phone or something like that with a Bible on it, uh, open up this morning. It gives you a chance to kind of see what we're talking about in context. But anyways, before we dig into that, uh, why don't you just join with me and let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you uh, that Paul wrote this letter and that thousands of years later, we still have it and we can still learn from it and we can draw closer to you through it, God. Um, I pray that above all else, you would just speak to us this morning and draw us closer to you and, and help us dig into your word, God. We love you so much. <clears throat> um, so uh, I, I think probably a lot of us, most of us, at least at some points, uh, do this thing in life where we compare ourselves to others. And sometimes you kind of compare yourselves to others out of insecurity, and so you look around at other people who can do stuff and you feel low about yourself because... You can always find people that are better at something than you. Or, or maybe you compare yourself to people out of pride. You, you know, you, you can think about people who, you know, you're better at something then. Or you can be like, well, I'm pretty good at this. You compare yourself to other people. And, and out of pride, you compare yourself to others. Um, either way, I, I would suggest that both of those leave you feeling very low. Whether it's out of insecurity, you feel like you're insignificant and worthless and there are people better than you. And, and maybe you... Uh, out of pride, you start feeling low too, because pride, I think, will always inevitably leave you feeling empty and low. It's not a healthy attribute. Maybe you know, um, you know, maybe you're friends with someone or know that person that, you know, they're just like, they've got it going on, you know? And it's like, uh, you know, they're good looking, they're like doing well in life, their family's working well, they're like super strong and jack. I'm not talking about Doug. Um, and, um, they're just like, everything's going on. They're happy. Life's good. And, you know, knowing them is like, cool, but you kind of like compare yourself. You're like, I'll just never be like them. And, and maybe, maybe it looks a little bit like this. Check out this. You know, if you're friends with Gaston, you probably like know how like insignificant you are. You know, it's like who, as a specimen, he's very intimidating, right? Um, fun fact about me, the first movie I, movie I ever saw in the theaters was Beauty and the Beast. Not that one. Uh, I haven't like lived under a rock my whole life, but the like old Disney one. So if you're ever like, I wonder how old Ryan is. That's how old. I saw that one as a kid. Anyways, um, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, the, uh, we do this thing where we compare ourselves to others. Maybe you know someone like Gaston, or maybe you just know a lot of people who are good at things, or maybe, like I said, out of pride and arrogance, you compare yourself to others, and it always leaves you feeling low and empty. I think that comparing yourself to others is one of the most unhealthy and unproductive and kind of poisonous things you can do in life. It will always leave you feeling low. There's nothing biblical about comparing yourself to others. The biblical text, however, does invite us in to compare ourselves to one person, that's Jesus. And this passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 23, is all about how Jesus is supreme and how big and amazing and glorious and incredible he is. 
Your Bibles probably title it the supremacy of the Son of God or the supremacy of Christ or something like that. And my hope is that this morning is that in a little bit differently, but you know, when you compare yourselves to others and it leaves you feeling low, I hope that this morning as we compare ourselves to Jesus, it will leave us feeling even lower than we could ever feel when we do that with others. And not out of insecurity, not out of pride, not out of anything unhealthy like that, but out of just pure humility and awe and amazement at who Jesus is. And so I hope that as we continue to elevate Jesus in our lives, we will begin to realize how, you know, kind of massive of a chasm there is between Jesus and ourselves. Anyways, uh, let's dig in. We're going to take this in two chunks, uh, first verses 15 to 20, and then we'll pick up in 21 to 23. So I'm going to uh, read these first verses to you guys, and then we'll dig into it. Starts in verse 15. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the Son being Jesus, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Um, <clears throat> What Paul does here in the first few verses, verses 15 to 18 particularly, he, he goes through this list of kind of characteristics or attributes of Jesus Christ. He describes them in different ways, says, says things that he's done or, you know, things about him. And, and we're going to work through that, but first I just want to look at what happens is he builds this list and it all culminates in the second half of uh, verse 18. And he says, so that, all of this, so that in everything he might have the supremacy all these things about Jesus, and it's all going to be pointing towards this idea that Jesus has the supremacy, that Jesus is above and beyond everything. Last week, Doug did a great job of laying the context for the book of Colossians to give, give us kind of a starting point for how we'd look at it and how we'd read it. And one thing that Paul is doing in this letter, and specifically in this section, is he's trying to combat misconceptions that people have about who Jesus Christ is. In the church, and we won't get into all the different worldviews that were floating around and all that, but in the church, people were starting to get wrong ideas of who Jesus was. Now, I know a lot of people nowadays don't, probably don't walk around thinking, oh, you know, I need to be this rich, like super smart theologian who has all these ideas. I can go around spouting big words and teaching it and, and stuff like that. But, but your understanding of who Jesus is, is so incredibly important. Your call as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to follow him. It is really hard to follow someone if you have a, an unclear or a skewed or a wrong perception of who they are and what they look like and what they're actually calling you to. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to go through uh, these few verses and um, pull kind of eight observations about who Jesus is that are made in this passage. If you're using the app notes or the bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks that will show up on the screen. Um, and some of these maybe will be kind of new concepts to you or maybe a refresher. So maybe you're learning something or gaining something out of that. I think when you come on a Sunday morning, a lot of times we're hoping to offer you something. But I think this morning, I hope you learned something, but this morning what I'd really invite you guys to do, maybe a little differently than normal, is just really kind of approach this morning with kind of an attitude of worship. As we dig into these verses, um, hopefully there's some learning and some exchange of ideas and some encouragement and stuff, but just worship with me as we focus on the incredible Savior that we have, Jesus Christ. 
so we'll work through this passage and just look at some observations that Paul makes here about uh, Jesus Christ. So first of all, he starts off, off in verse 15. He says, the sun, is, the sun is the image of the invisible God. So it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible. And we talk about this quite a bit here at FBC, how Jesus Christ was fully God, fully divine. He, you know, we talk about the deity of Jesus Christ, how he wasn't just a mouthpiece of God that showed up on earth, a spokesperson, a representative, a, a good teacher. He, he was God coming down in human flesh. We're going to touch on that a little bit uh, more deeply later. It goes on, and the second observation is that he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, this is, this is kind of a big deal. Um, in biblical times, what would happen is your firstborn, particularly your firstborn son, was promised the greatest share of your inheritance. And if you read uh, other books of the Bible, like Ephesians and other places, you can read that um, that God has promised us a rich and glorious inheritance. But that comes through his firstborn, Jesus. Jesus is, and we're going to see something else about this later too, is, is his heir, his appointed one, who brings and offers God's inheritance to us. And it's a very rich and powerful inheritance. It's also important to know that although Jesus is called the firstborn in creation, he's the firstborn over creation. He, he's not like us. In the beginning, we were born from dust. Adam was born as, as, as life was breathed into dust. But Jesus did not come from dust. Jesus was the one breathing that life into dust. He is supreme and above all of us because he was not created like us, and he created all of us. Moving on to verse 16, it says, For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So two observations in this verse. The first one is that Jesus is the creator of all. Like I said, I mean, he, 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 he made everything. I, I was saying earlier that uh, our baby Avro, I've been reading her this, um, uh, this children's Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook. If, if you're a parent, it's, it's a really good children's Bible. Now, it's kind of funny because I'm kind of, uh, I don't know, I have some issues, I guess. And so when I read a children's Bible, I know that they have to fill in the narrative with some story stuff, you know? And, and so Talisee will laugh at me because I'll be reading like Noah's Ark with her and I'll, with Avra, and I'll be like, well, okay, Avra, here's, you know, that's all true and stuff, but the Bible doesn't actually say that, like, you know, people are making fun of him, so, you know, we can kind of, like, rest. And Talisee's just like, Ryan, what's wrong with you? Just read the Bible, you know? Like, read her the story. Um, but one thing I love and one thing I like about like a children's Bible is they paint kind of a narrative that gets us to kind of engage with the idea. And in the creation narrative in the Jesus storybook, what happens is it says that God is, is just calling out to creation. It says that he says, hello, light. And light responds by coming into existence. And he says, hello, birds. And birds become a, a thing. You know, by his voice, his powerful voice, he speaks out and creation just leaps into existence. He just greets creation and it becomes. And it's incredible to think about such a powerful and, again, supreme God that we get to serve that just by the sound of his voice, the creation responds, not only responds, but responds by coming into existence. And then it says, at the end of that verse, it says, all things have been created through him, and for him. So the next observation I'd make is that Jesus is the, our ultimate purpose. He's the ultimate purpose of all creation. Maybe in your life, um, maybe you think that your kind of purpose or, or meaning or goal 
uh, in life is to do some certain things. Maybe you're like, I want to get married. I want to be a really good husband or a really good wife or I want to have kids and I want to be a really good parent. I want to be a good friend. I want to work hard at my job and be a really good employee. I want to be an artist or a musician or a, you know, <clears throat> good at sports or something like that. And I will tell you that I believe that this, in, in context of other, with other scripture in the Bible, teaches us that you, none of those are actually your purpose in life. None of those are actually your calling in life, and that you have one purpose, and that's similar to all creation, and that is to bring glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ, the King who created you. And you want to be a husband? You want to be a good husband? You should, for the glory of Jesus Christ. I think a lot of times we live for our own life's calling out of our own desires. You know, I want to I do this. And, or if I'm nice to my wife, you know, it makes her happy or it makes me happy or, you know, or it makes things at home good, you know. Or I want to be a good parent so that my kids can grow up and do these things. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not preaching against that. But I think sometimes we get so focused on the means that we lose the end. The only reason you would ever be a father, a mother, a spouse, work at a job or do a sport or anything as a part of God's creation is, should be for him, for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, our supreme king. Continues on in uh, verse 17. It says, he is before all things, and in, and in him all things hold together. So the next observation is that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Jesus sustains his entire creation. Jesus didn't just create the universe and then step back and say, you guys got this. That's a false worldview called deism, and we won't get into that, but that, that is a really unhealthy view of who Jesus is. Jesus is intimately in, acquainted with his creation, is part of it. He sustains it. Actually, I think the best way to describe this would be to look at Hebrews uh, 1, 1 to 5. <clears throat> it says, uh, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir. There's that idea of his inheritance coming through him, his heir of all things, and through him, or and through whom also he made the universe. And check this out. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, of that image of the invisible. And it says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. I don't know if you regularly, when you take a breath, think, man, God, thank you so much that I just took another breath, that I didn't just drop dead because I didn't breathe. You breathe, you wake up in the morning by the powerful and sustaining hand of Jesus Christ who sustains the universe. We breathe millions of times in our lives and often forget to even thank God that he allows that to happen. That he allows the oxygen and nitrogen and whatever else is in there to enter our lungs and to sustain our life. And we should be in awe of the fact that 7 billion people on this giant planet in this massive universe is sustained by this powerful king. That we, serve, that we serve. Verse 18 continues on, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So the first observation is that he's the head of the church. Jesus came and started this church thing a couple thousand years ago, and we just get to be a part of it. 
Maybe you come to FPC and you think that Doug or me or the staff, we kind of run the show and we lead things around here. No, we're just, say, pawns. That sounds very demeaning, but pawns in this, in this operation that Jesus Christ started 2,000 years ago and has been sustaining and is running. Our only goal can be to pursue him and follow him. And I love that it says he's the head of the body, not the head over the body, now he presides over it. Jesus is part of the church. He is the mind of the church. He is the vision and the direction of the church. So when you participate in church, when you uh, come to FBC, which I'm just going to brag on my daughter for a second. She hasn't, hasn't missed a, a Sunday in her life. Um, if, when you come to FBC, when you're part of the church, when you're meeting with other Christians, you're doing small group, you're not just coming to some cool thing. You're joining yourself together as part of the body connected to Christ, the head. It's incredible. This next part is maybe the most uh, theologically dense part. It says, um, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. At first read, you know, a lot of people might say, maybe that confuses you. Maybe people are like, what's that mean? He's the firstborn from among the dead. Well, the observation I make there is that he's our hope of resurrection. And I'm going to unpack that, stop for a minute and unpack that a little bit. I mean, I could spend uh, <clears throat> the whole morning talking about this, but we'll uh, try to move through this kind of quickly. So it says that he's the firstborn from among the dead. He's our hope of resurrection. I think, and I want to be sensitive when I say this, I think that when it comes to death and eternity, the afterlife, last things, the end of all things, um, I think that in the church we often let ourselves practice pretty sloppy and oftentimes kind of rough theology. And now I know a lot of us aren't like, oh, I'm a big theologian with all the answers, but we all do theology. I mean, we all have ideas about God and who he is and how we respond to him and how we should live our lives in response to who he is. And I think when it comes to death, especially when it's close and you're mourning, and again, I want to be sensitive to this. I know I've done it in my life around funerals. You start to build kind of your own ideas of what that looks like to comfort yourself. And I think that what inevitably happens, even though those ideas kind of comfort us in the moment, is that we kind of miss out on the beauty of what God actually promises for eternity. God promises resurrection, and you don't hear about this a lot. When Jesus came to earth, he... he he, he, he did stuff for us to follow. The way Jesus has lived his life has created us a path for us to follow. He's the, first, he's the firstborn over all creation. He was created, and so he creates that for us. We, we follow in those footsteps. He lived here on earth. We follow in those footsteps. He, he died. We're, we're all going to die. And, you know, then he was resurrected from the dead. Jesus overcame death. On the cross, Jesus didn't just forgive your sins. He did that, but he offered you the hope of resurrection. I think a lot of times we get this picture that one day when we die, we're going to float off to some ethereal, mysterious place that has no resemblance to what we're doing here on earth, has no resemblance to the desires and the characteristics and the creativity that God's given us. And we're just going to float around on clouds, playing harps, wearing togas with like streets of gold. And I get it. That's kind of the bill of goods we've been, we've been sold. But the Bible tells us that one day, Jesus is going to return. He's going to recreate the earth. He's going to resurrect us into human bodies. We're going to look kind of like this, probably better though. And he's going to get rid of all sin and sorrow and sickness, sadness. One day I'm going to have this body again, but without the issues that I'm facing. This sore throat that I have this morning, I don't need to think about that. And that's good because I've spent my whole life being me and enjoying who I am. And God isn't going to abandon that. See, I think our view sometimes of the afterlife and eternity is a view of abandonment, where God's like, well, they sinned, so, you know, earth is going to go away, and we're going to do... 
It's not an escape plan. It's a reconciliation plan. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in a minute, where God doesn't give up on his creation. He says, I created you to be the person you are. And one day I'm going to help you. You got, you got some issues right now. I'm going to help you perfect that. And we're going to exist together for, forever. This idea of hope of resurrection, maybe, maybe that's new to you or confusing. I'd love to talk to you about it more. But it is actually a bigger and more glorious promise than just floating away and escaping God's creation. It's, it's better than that. And then it wraps up. So that in everything, all of this, so that he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. So the last observation is that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is above all. He is bigger than us. He is bigger than everything. He is, he is the supreme ruler and creator and sustainer of the universe. We continue on in verse 19. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's incredible that God decided to step off of his throne in heaven and decided to condescend to cloak himself in human flesh and walk around on planet earth in one of these sick and suffering and broken bodies that we have. We have issues that we face that God never had to face, but he stepped down in humility, cloaked himself in one of these things, and put up with it and dwelt with it. We read the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and feet and feet. I know that's not how you pluralize that word. Feet. And you know, we think that's an incredible display of humility, and it, it is. It, it's amazing that Jesus would humble himself to that. But I actually think the gap between human Jesus doing, being who he is and doing that is probably small compared to the God of heaven stepping off of his throne, transporting himself into a body where he'd have to deal with sickness and issues, into a place where he was going to be heavily persecuted and then killed. That's incredible. That's the God we serve. And it says, why? So that he could reconcile to himself all things, all things. God is going to reconcile his creation to him. Like I said, God didn't create the world and be like, oh, they screwed it up. We're done. You know, plan B. God's plan A is the only plan, and he is going to win. He's going to have victory in that, and he's going to finish plan A, and that's going to happen, and one day we're going to live in perfection. I mean, if you want to under, get a glimpse of what that looks like, the best place to look isn't at the end of your Bible, but at the beginning of the Bible when God created a perfect paradise. Now, I'm not saying it's going to look exactly like that, like we might still know what the wheel is and stuff, but, you know, one day we're going to live, and we're going to, like Genesis says, walk in the cool of the day with God. It's incredible. It's an amazing promise. We, as humans, when things go wrong, when things get tough, when people offend us, things get tough in our marriage, we abandon and we give up. We quit. Friendships, family, relationships, we give up. God hasn't given up on you, even to the point of coming and dwelling on earth and shedding his blood to offer peace so that you can be reconciled and have that hope of eternity with him. And it's an incredible promise. Continue on to the second chunk of the passage here, verses 21 to 23. I'll read it for you guys first. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So verse 21, it talks about, it's addressing Christians. So it's saying, before you were a Christian, before you chose to follow God, before you started this relationship with him, it says you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. That's, that's 
That's pretty intense. That's pretty harsh. And the reality is, is that this is what we're born into. If you read scripture, and if you want to read something about the resurrection I was just talking about too, and also about what I'm about to talk about, go home and read 1 Corinthians 15. If that doesn't get you excited on it, then go home and read 1 Corinthians 15 again and, and just keep doing that until you get excited about that. But it talks about how sin was manifested uh, you know, in the beginning through Adam and Eve and how there's this thing called sin that's infected all of us. And we're born with this natural tendency to, to not follow God, to, to turn away from God and to not follow him. And it says that we're enemies in our mind. That's because without God, our minds are bent against him. If you read Romans 12, it, it says that God comes in and he transforms and renews your mind. But without that, You've got a human mind that's bent on sin and on evil behavior and that's alienated from God. Last week, uh, we were sitting in church here and uh, I was holding our baby Avra and um, it was communion time. And it was, uh, well, it was interesting because, first of all, it was kind of funny because uh, they started passing the plate. Now, I'm a passionate, what I call middle cupper. So, I don't know, if you look at the communion plates, there's that cup right in the center. It's not part of a circle, it's its own. That's mine. You know, I like, I'm looking down the row, and if someone takes it, I'm switching rows so that I get the middle cup of one of the communion trays. And so, I'm holding the baby, and the communion tray comes. I'm like, Talcy, get the middle cup. She's like, eh. I'm like, get the middle cup. You know, or otherwise, we need to go to that marriage event and work through some marital issues that we're going to have if I got anything but the middle cup. Anyways, we're sitting there, and, uh, you know, one of us kind of joked about, like, you know, should we give Avra communion, like, pour the juice and stuff like that? And I looked at Talos, and I'm like, well, no, because, you know, Doug said that if you're going to take communion, you need to be a Christian, and Avra hasn't started following Jesus yet. Now, I'm not getting into, like, a theological debate about what happens with babies and stuff like that. But what it made me think about, and it's a sombering reality, is that I gave birth to a baby who is, like, bent on sin, and you hold her and she looks innocent and stuff. I know she's not innocent because, like, she waits until I'm changing her and the diaper's off. You know, dads, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, but she has this natural evil inclination in her that's inherent to who she is as a human. And we're going to do everything we can to push her towards the reconciliation that Jesus offers, the peace through his shedding of blood on the cross. But she's born with that. You're born with this issue that makes you what this passage calls an enemy of Christ. And you don't want to be an enemy of God. You know, we, we often get this picture that, you know, God, the, the God of this Bible is just this big fluffy giant floating around who's just all smiles and hugs. He's like Barney. But he is very loving and very compassionate and very kind. Don't get me wrong, but God is also severe. He punishes the wicked. He, he, he deals swiftly with his enemies. You don't want to be on the other end of being an enemy of the God who created the universe. I mean, if you read the stories in the Bible, like, I think it's mind-blowing that one of the first children's Bible stories that people often teach kids is the story of Noah's Ark. I mean, what's the story? Hey, kids, gather around. God killed everyone. Every person on planet Earth, he killed them, except for eight of them. You know, we're like, oh, there's a boat. Kids like boats, and they're animals. No, they all died. It's crazy. You know, or there's a story about King Hezekiah, and there's this enemy army. They're, they're bad guys. They're, they're camped outside. During the night, they're asleep. God comes and just drops 185,000 of them in one night. God is severe. And now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to preach like a scary God to you guys. But you have to understand, when we say that Jesus is supreme, he is powerful beyond anything we could ever fathom. 
And uh, you can be on two sides of that power. On one side, you can experience his incredible love and grace and compassion, which goes beyond anything you could ever experience in life. On the other side of that is the intensity of what it is to be an enemy of Christ. If you're here and you haven't chosen to turn and follow Jesus, I'm not trying to scare you into that, but, but no, that is a serious place to be. And check this out. This is incredible. We were, we were enemies. We were evil. We were alienated. But now, when you choose to follow Jesus, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's crazy. We're guilty. And he removes us from all accusation. It kind of, the Bible doesn't make me think about self-help books, but it, it kind of draws a parallel. Like if you go to a self-help book section in a store, I don't own any, I imagine that the titles aren't like, hey, how to barely stay alive and escape death on a regular basis, or how to breathe just enough oxygen into your lungs to sustain a pulse. No, self-help books are like your best life now, or love this life, or live large, or I, I don't know what they're called, but big things. And this is the extremes of the message of the gospel. This is the gospel here, is that we're sinners, and Jesus is supreme, and he not only saves us from the brink of death, he not only just puts us on a boat to escape the flood, he not only just keeps us from the eternal punishment and torment that we deserve, but Jesus takes us to the other extreme and says, sin is no more hold on your life. You're free from accusation. You're free from blemish. I view you as holy. I've forgotten the sins that you've committed. That's incredible. And this is the message of the gospel, that Jesus takes something so awful that we have and turns it into the complete opposite. And that is, that is incredible. It, it, it's the most amazing promise in the Bible. God makes a lot of promises in the Bible, and this is the most incredible promise. But a lot of God's promises are conditional, not because he's a conditional God, but because it's up to us to choose to accept them or not. And this is what verse 23 tells us. It says, all this, the gospel, you're saved and you're taken away from accusation if you continue in your faith, you stay established and firm, and you do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You don't go out and apply for a job and get a job and just then never show up to work and expect to get paid. This isn't a salvation of works, but Jesus is saying this is an all-in commitment. You want to experience the hope and the truth of the gospel? You want to be saved from being alienated, an evil enemy of Christ in your mind, to being free from blemish without, with, without accusation, completely holy? Then you got to be all in. He, he's saying, I'm not looking to be Lord of your life in some aspects. I'm looking to be Lord of your life in all aspects. I hope that this morning, um, above all, has given you an opportunity and a pause to just focus on how incredibly supreme and amazing Jesus is. Like I said in Colossians, a lot of what Paul is writing to do is combat misconceptions about who Jesus Christ is. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you have some of your own misconceptions about Jesus. Maybe you haven't verbalized them, but maybe the way you live your life reflects that you have some misconceptions about who he is. Maybe one of your misconceptions is that he's occasional, that he's, he's the God of Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings when you have small group, you know, with certain friend groups, your church friends or things like that. Or, or maybe just that he's, it's not about the people that you're with or where you're at. You know, you know, at work, it's just work. It's not as though you're doing something for God, but you're just doing that and God's over here. Maybe you just don't acknowledge how supreme God is in your life. Maybe you haven't come to a point where you realize Jesus is it. Man, I beg you, 
come to grips with the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Maybe your misconception is, maybe your struggle is that you, you, you just view yourself as too insignificant. You're not good enough. You're too insecure to think that this holy and perfect of a God would love you. And you're not good enough. The good news is that Jesus is supreme and he's good enough to fill in all of those gaps. Jesus wants to be the supreme ruler of your life every single day of the week, at work, in your families, in your finances, in your health, in your decisions. How foolish it is that in life we pursue our own desires and our own ends and our own decided purpose and meaning and, and, and the things that we want rather than surrendering to the supreme king of our lives, Jesus Christ. How foolish it is that we live our lives like that. There are a lot of, we're, we're going to sing a song in a minute, but before we do that, I, I just want to share with you, there are a lot of ways that Jesus is referred to in the Bible, different names and different ways that he's called in the Bible. And we're going to go through a list of these, and I just want to invite you to worship in amazement and awe as we reflect on who Jesus is. This isn't about who you are. This isn't about anything that's been said this morning. This isn't even about what Paul's written in this letter. This is about who Jesus Christ is and about how he should be the supreme ruler of your life. He longs and deserves to be supreme in our lives. Revelation 22 tells us that Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, above time and above us and above all creation. 1 Thessalonians 1 says that Jesus is our rescuer. When we deserve death as, as his enemies, when we deserve eternal punishment, Jesus rescues us from that. Revelation 1 tells us that he's the almighty one, more powerful than anyone who has ever and will ever exist. Hebrews 12 says that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Your faith comes into existence only because of Jesus and grows only because of who Jesus is. Psalm 118 tells us that he's the chief cornerstone, the foundation upon which the church is laid. 1 Timothy 1 tells us about how Jesus is our only hope. Luke 2 tells us that he is the Savior who came to save the world. John 10 tells us he's the door that grants us access to God, the almighty God who created the world. This door that acts, gives us access to the presence of our heavenly Father. John 14 says that he is the only way that we can come to the Father. Isaiah 9 tells us that he is our wonderful counselor, that Jesus is our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And Revelation 19 says that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the supreme ruler that rules over every ruler that has ever and will ever exist. I want to invite you guys to stand up. We're, we're going to sing a song and we're going to worship Jesus here. But Philippians 2 says that God took Jesus and he exalted him to the highest place in heaven to sit at his right hand of his throne. And it gave, he gave him the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee would bow and every tongue conf would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And it is by that name of Jesus Christ that we experience the gospel and our lives are transformed. So join with us this morning as we sing and as we reflect on and worship the wonderful and beautiful and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ.